What a beautiful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, there is forgiveness. In the name of Jesus, there's salvation. In the name of Jesus, there is strength, there is power, and there is healing. Amen? And we've gathered in the name of Jesus and been worshiping Him together. And I join with the Apostle Paul as he prays this prayer for God's people in Ephesians 1. He prays this, I pray that the eyes of your heart, I pray that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened in order that we might know the hope to which we've been called. Anyone need a fresh source of hope this morning? That we may know the hope to which he has called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance of his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe, the power that is his mighty strength. It's the same power when he exert, that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is to come, not only in the present day, but in those to come. And God has placed all things under the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and appointed him to be head of the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in his way. Amen? Amen. It's great to be together. You having a good weekend? Yep. Are you thankful for uh, this beautiful day? Nice, warm, almost summer day. Gives us a glimpse that maybe it will come <laughs> for more than a day or two this year. But every day is a gift from the Lord, right? Amen. And it's great to be together here to open his word together. And I'm going to invite you to turn in God's Word to John 17. That's where we're going to be camping out this morning. We'll look at some other passages, but our core teaching is from John 17. And, and the title of the sermon today that I've chosen is, is this title here that you'll see, The Real Lord's Prayer. Now, some of you, as you're turning to John 17 and you're thinking of that title, you're saying, wait a second, Steve, the Lord's Prayer that I've studied, the Lord's Prayer that I've been taught is recorded in Matthew 6 and Luke 11. So what's going on? Pastor Rick is away and you're renaming things? <laughs> Pray for them. They come back on Tuesday. Hopefully we'll be able to keep, uh, keep things all right here till they come. But yeah, I really think that this is an amazing prayer that we really should consider the Lord's Prayer. And here's a few reasons. You see, in, in the prayer that we often call the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 and Luke 11, in Luke 11, it, it's recorded that this happened. The disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. And the Lord then lays out this model of prayer, a great prayer, an amazing prayer, right? Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. God's name is holy. Amen. We've been singing about his name, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yes, we want to pray that. Give us our bread today, Lord. Every day we're thankful for his provision. Amen. Those are prayers that we pray. A great model of prayer. But then Jesus taught the disciples to say this next thing, which was, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And the reason I say that that prayer is a disciple's prayer rather than the Lord's prayer is the Lord Jesus Christ didn't have sins to be forgiven. 
So that prayer is often called the Lord's Prayer, but it's really the disciples' prayer, a great prayer, a model of prayer. But today we're going to look at another prayer in John 17, which I'm calling the real Lord's Prayer. The other prayer is a great one, and it is the Lord's Prayer. Don't get me wrong. But if you turn to John 17, we're going to study this passage together. And and what I'd like you to notice is, is that here we get a glimpse into the words of the Lord Jesus Christ like we never have before when He is praying. We know that Jesus Christ, when He was here on earth, He prayed all the time. He prayed continually. The scriptures tell us that he removed himself and he went to the desert. He went to quiet places to, to pray. He withdrew himself from the crowds. He was alone with the Father. And he was, but he was also constantly communing with God the Father. And we have some recorded prayers in the gospel accounts. However, most of them are just a couple verses. A couple verses here and there where we get an insight into what the Lord Jesus actually said when he prayed to God the Father. Here in John 17, we have a whole chapter, there's 26 verses, where the actual words of the Lord Jesus Christ that he prays to God the Father are actually recorded. It's an amazing prayer, and I trust that you'll be encouraged by this. Now, just quickly, to set the context of what's happened, in the previous number of chapters, from John 13 to 16, some amazing things have happened. Jesus has called the disciples together, and one of the first things that he does is he washes their feet, and that account is there. In addition to washing their feet, he then enjoys a dinner together with them, the Passover meal. They enjoy that together, and Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. He also talks and predicts that he's going to be betrayed, and shortly after that, Judas exits the room, and we know what happens with Judas. And then Jesus continues to teach his disciples in this last moment that he has on his journey towards the cross. As we move through John 17 and beyond, we see the next series of events that we just were reflecting on at Easter time. Jesus is betrayed, yes, there is a trial, there's an arrest, he's beaten, he's whipped, he's sent to the cross, and Jesus dies on the cross. But as we were singing earlier, the story doesn't end there. Jesus is resurrected. And so this prayer is happening right before Gethsemane. That's the context. Right before Jesus goes to the garden. And we pick up the story here in John 17. And this particular chapter is just amazing. I trust it will encourage you. John MacArthur says this about this particular chapter. He says this, Here we eavesdrop on the communion, the eternal communion between the Son and the Father. The veil is drawn back, and we're admitted into the Holy of Holies. And we approach the inner communion of the Trinity. The secret place of the Most High is opened up for us. He goes on to say, here we need to remove our shoes and listen and humble ourselves with reverent hearts because we are on the holiest of grounds. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that as we open your word together, Lord, that nothing would get in the way of what you want to accomplish, Lord. Lord, as the Apostle Paul prayed, I pray this morning for us, for all of us, that the eyes of our hearts, that our understanding would be opened, that we would hear your voice and your voice only. That my voice would not get in the way, Lord, but that you would use your word, Lord, to transform all of us 
more into the likeness and the image of Christ and the kind of disciples that you have called us to be. And I ask this in Christ's name. And together we say, amen. Okay, are you with me? John 17. We're going we're gonna to look at this together. And I want you to notice in this prayer that Jesus prays for three groups of people. First of all, there's th- he prays for himself. Three beneficiaries of this prayer. And the first is himself. Notice in verse 1. After Jesus said this, let's just pause for a moment. What did Jesus say? Something's just happened after Jesus said this. Well, what has Jesus just spoken about? At the end of chapter 16, there's three things that Jesus has just told them is going to happen. Number one, he's told them that they're going to be scattered. Number two, he's told them that there's going to be tribulation. You're going to be scattered. It's going to get rough. But then the third thing Jesus said is, take heart. Don't worry about it, for I have overcome the world. That's just happened at the end of chapter 16. And then he launches into this prayer. After Jesus said that, those three things, you're going to be scattered, it's going to get tough, there's going to be tribulation, but don't worry, take heart, for I have overcome. Jesus then prays this prayer. He looked toward heaven and he prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you have granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on the earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had before the world began. So Jesus prays for himself. Then in verse 6, notice his attention turns somewhere else. He prays for the disciples that are there with him, for the 11 that are left. And Jesus continues, and he says this in verse 6, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. We were just singing about that. The name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe. By that name that you gave me, none has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that Scripture would be fulfilled. Verse 13, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world that, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they're not of this world any more than I am of this world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world e- even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they may truly be sanctified. And then in verse 26, Jesus' attention goes further and includes 
all believers, all disciples, not just the 11 that were there in the room, although everything he prayed was relevant to us, he makes a specific emphasis like this. Note this, verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in the message through them, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. And then he closes Verses 25 and 26, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I've made them known to you, I've made you known to them, and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. What a great prayer. What an amazing thing. Jesus prays for himself, he prays for the eleven, and then he prays for you. And he prays for me. As we continue, I want you to notice five specific things that Jesus prays for for his disciples, for the 11 and for us. Amazing things. The first thing I want you to notice is his prayer for protection in verse 11 and verses 15 and 16. We just read it. Jesus says, hey, I'm not going to be in this world any longer, but they are going to be. And he says, Lord, in verse 11, protect them by the power of your name. Protect them by the power of your name. The name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. And then down in 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you, again, protect them. From who? From the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I want you to think about the last time you really felt safe. You felt, hey, you know what? I think I'm in a pretty... Are you feeling safe this morning? I hope so. I think the last time I really, really felt safe was a few months ago. Pastor Calvin will remember this. Pastor Calvin and Deacon Greg Martin assembled a group of men and women, an amazing group of men and women, and I was invited just to sit in on this meeting, and it was a great afternoon. It was a Sunday afternoon. I came into this room, and there was this group, I don't know, it was maybe 15, 16 men and women, and all of them were police officers, security officers, people had been trained to keep the peace. And I looked around the room, and I thought to myself, I think I'm in the safest place I've ever been. Because <laughs> if someone came after me, right here, any, any one of these people could take them out. <laughs> I really felt secure. Because these people, they had authority. They had credentials. They had training. They had experience, and they had a mandate to serve and to protect looking around this room, I thought, man, this is just great. And I looked over and I saw Pastor Calvin. Now, I'm six foot, over 200 pounds, believe the number's there. <laughs> Pastor Calvin's a pretty big guy there. I looked across the room and Calvin looked like a puny little guy. <laughs> you know why? Because there was a guy sitting beside him who was huge. Pastor Calvin's, I, 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 I want to go into battle with Pastor Calvin. But this brother that was beside Pastor Calvin, he is 6'4", 6'5", 6'5", I don't know, 6'6", he's a giant. 
And he just made Pastor Kevin look so small because of his presence, right? Right? I said that to Kelvin afterwards. I said, Kelvin, you look small there, man. We, we look small. That doesn't happen very often. But these guys and, this, and, and, and women that were there were special people because they were set apart to serve and to protect. Aren't you thankful for the people that day after day, week after week, put their lives on the line for taking care of us? Amen? But this, this is what Jesus prays for. He prays for protection from the Father for you and for I. Did you catch that? You see, Jesus has the credentials. Jesus has the experience. Jesus has the authority. Look at verse 11. Where does that come from? The power of His name that was given to Him by the Father. Verse 11. And who is Jesus protecting us from? Verse 15. The evil one. We're reminded in Ephesians 6 that we don't we don't battle against flesh and blood. Our battle is with the spiritual forces of evil. Therefore, the Apostle Paul reminds us, be strong, not in yourselves, be strong in the Lord. Remember what Jesus had just told the disciples that's recorded at the end of chapter 16? It's going to get tough. You're going to get scattered. But don't worry. Take heart, for I've overcome the world. Our strength comes in the power of who Jesus is and what He has accomplished And what he's doing now, seated at the right hand of God the Father. And he's protecting his children from the evil one. And he prays for this protection. He prayed for it then, for for his disciples, both then and now. What an amazing thing. Isn't that amazing? So Jesus prays for protection. The next thing he prays for is unity. Look at this. In verses 20 to 23, we have this theme jumping out of, of unity. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray for also them who will believe, that's you and me that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world might believe you sent me. Verse 22, I've given them the glory that you gave me again, he says, that they may be one as we are one. Verse 23, I and them and you and me. You think he's emphasizing something here? So that they may be brought, and look at the words that are used here, that they may be brought to complete unity then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I asked this question in the first service. Let's see how you guys do. How many of you like steak? Hands up. That's kind of about the same. Maybe, maybe just over 50%. Okay. So uh, th- those of you who like steak, how many of you like it well done? Hands up. Okay. How many of you like it uh, more sort of medium? Okay. How many of you like it medium rare? Okay, good. Now, Phil's here, so I'm going to ask this question. How many of you like it like it's blue? Right? Hey, Phil, you're not alone. There we go. Kenny's with you, too. Right? Now, here's my point. Half of you don't even like steak. Those of you who do like steak, you can't even agree on how it's going to get cooked. You can't. So how, as God's people, can we agree on anything? We can't even agree about meat. And yet Jesus prays this prayer. He's prayed for protection, and now he prays for unity and a certain kind of unity, complete unity. Did you ever play that game? Some of you maybe are too young. Uh, There's a game called Red Rover. We used to play it when we were kids. How many of you remember Red Rover? Okay. Some of you who are younger than me don't know it, but that's okay. We'll teach it to you. We're not going to play it this morning. You can play it in the parking lot if you want. 
But the idea is two teams gather together and, and then the team links hands. They lock arms. They lock hands. And the goal of the game is to try for the other team to send a member over. Red Rover, Red Rover, Kenny, come over. And the team calls Kenny over and it's Kenny's job to try to break through the unity of that team. And if Kenny can't break through, Kenny gets assimilated into that team. If he does break through, he gets to claim some of those people for his team. Jesus is giving us a picture of the kind of unity that exists in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit team. A linkage that cannot be broken. And he calls his disciples, he calls us as the church to have that kind of unity. And the problem with us, the problem with me, the problem with you, the problem with all of us is we all have our preferences. We want medium, we want blue, we want well done, we want whatever. And what we have to do is to defer to the unity that that's, we're called to, a kind of unity that Jesus says is complete unity. Not just 70%, not 40%, not even 99%, complete unity. And how do we get that unity? We only get it by recognizing that the Father is in Christ and that the, uh, Christ is in us. That's how we get the unity. And so Jesus prays for this, for protection, for unity. Isn't that an amazing thing? And he models it to us in the Trinity, the relationship between God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. He calls husbands and wives to this kind of unity. He calls the church to this kind of unity. How in the world can we do that? Yes, by the Father in Christ and Christ in us. And why? Why does Jesus pray for this? Why does he want this? Note in verse 23, he says two things. So that the world might know that the Father sent the Son and that the Father loves his disciples, just like the Father loves Christ. That's the purpose that Christ is praying this prayer of unity, that the world would know that the Father sent the Lord Jesus Christ and loves his disciples, loves his followers, loves his people in such a way, in the same kind of way that the Father loves the Son. Okay, protection, unity. Third thing, sanctification. Jesus prays for sanctification. Look at verse 17. Jesus asks God the Father for this. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world, verse 19, for I sanctify myself that they too may be sanctified. Sanctification, sanctified is a word that's, word that's been around for a while, but maybe you're not familiar with it. The idea of sanctification, the idea of something being sanctified is to be set apart, to be made pure for God's purposes, to be made holy, to de declare that thing set apart for the Lord. For us as believers, this is a process as we follow Jesus and He works by His Holy Spirit's power and the tr transformation that's available to us in God's Word as we apply that to our lives. He transforms us. We're set apart, we're made holy as His disciples, but we're also renovated constantly. Pastor Nick said a little while ago, you probably remember this. I hope you will. It's a great phrase. We're not sinless. The guy who's standing on the platform speaking to you today is not sinless. Just go talk to Deb. Talk to my kids. I'm not sinless. Pastor Nick reminded us, though, as we follow Christ, He renovates us. And by His grace and the power of His Holy Spirit, we sin less. We're not sinless. By God's grace, 
we sin less. And this is what Jesus is praying for, for his people. How do we get sanctified? How, do, how does this actually work? Look at what it says here in verse 17. Through the truth of God's word. And I want you to notice the phrase here. It says, sanctify them by the truth. And, it, and then this clear statement, Jesus says, your word. It doesn't say your word is, is pretty true. Your, it doesn't even say your word is true. It's a noun. Your word is truth. Your word is the standard by which we compare everything else. Lots of people in the world are looking after truth, looking out for truth, on a journey to find truth, and they're looking everywhere else except for the standard of God's word. Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. That's the standard. Everything else gets tested against that. Everything else has to fall in line with God's word. Why? Ephesians 5, 26 and 27 remind us that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, to present the church, you and I, the body of Christ, as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or blemish, but holy and blameless. Christ takes a group of ragtag disciples, not just the 11, the ragtags that are in this room, the ragtags that are on this stage. He takes sinners saved by God's grace and he calls them to a new standard for a purpose for us to be this radiant body, this radiant church on display for the world to present it back to him in splendor, in holiness. That only is done through the example of the Lord Jesus Christ being lived in us as we follow the truth, the truth of God's word. Amen? So protection, unity, sanctification. And what's the next thing that you see here? It's an amazing thing. Jesus calls them to joy. Look at verse 13. I'm coming to you now, he says to the Father, but I say these things while I'm still in the world. Why? So that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I was going through some photos on my phone a little while ago, and I came across this picture of Pastor Nick. Um, You can put it up, uh, team. This is about five years ago. Five years ago, um, I took Pastor Nick and Pastor Dwayne out fishing. Now, Pastor Nick, for those of you who don't know him, he came from the East Coast. And I'm assuming you live by the water, you live by the ocean, you, you love the water, right? You, you know, eyes the by the middle of the boat and all that kind of stuff. You know, you spend lots of time on the water, on boats. And, uh, well, I come to find out that Pastor Nick doesn't swim. He, he doesn't like boats. And he really doesn't like fish. But for whatever reason, when I went to Pastor Dwayne, some of you will remember Dwayne and Nick, I said, hey, do you guys want to come out fishing with me? They both said yes. And Pastor Nick, you know, he's always in, right? But here was the backstory. now. I start to find out that Pastor Nick's not really a swimmer. He's not really a boat guy. He doesn't really like fish. But when you look at that picture, you get a sense of joy. All those fears, all those concerns went away when as we started to fish, we were about two miles out in a little boat, little old boat in Lake Ontario, and all of a sudden, the rod bends over and the clicker on the wheels just starts to scream, and I say, Pastor Nick, you're up, and he grabs that rod for about 15 minutes. He does battle, and at the end of the battle, he brings this puppy in, (laughs) and he's full of joy. I was thinking about joy last week. Some of you saw the Raptors game last Sunday. I didn't, so I was reading about it um, on CBC Sports. 
and they recorded this about the Raptors game. It was one of the greatest moments in Toronto Raptors history. With 4.2 seconds left in a 90 to 90 point game, the Raptors were inbounding the ball and Kawhi Leonard takes the ball and drives to the baseline. He makes the shot and releases the ball with 0.4 seconds on the clock. The ball arcs high in the air. And then it clanks on the rim. Two. Three. Four. They, they call it the longest, shortest moment. Right? And everybody's watching, right? The bench is held back. They're wondering if Leonard has just ended the game or if the teams are going to have to go to overtime. Is the ball going to drop in? The ball drops in the net and everybody explodes. The Raptors have won 92 to 90 and they advance to the Eastern Conference Final. CBC Sports says this, oh, uh, says this, never has there been a bigger moment, a bigger shot, or a bigger win in Raptors history. Full of joy, full of excitement. But here's our problem. Our human joy, no matter, no matter how good it is, no matter what that experience is, whether it's a big fish or a great win on a game or whatever it might be, a new job, whatever it might be, whatever blessing the Lord brings our way, our human joy is always fleeting. It's temporary. It doesn't last, right? But Jesus is talking about a different kind of joy. Did you catch that word? He says, I pray that they may have the full measure of my joy. The idea of full measure is, is like, it's like a fishing net where you would cram everything in that you absolutely can into that net. Or if you're getting coffee, don't do this, but if you're getting coffee, you would fill it up right to the brim so it's just about to overflow because you don't want to miss a drop. That's the idea of a full measure. This is the kind of joy that Jesus is calling out to God the Father for, for His people, for you and for me. And how do we get that kind of joy? Note the language. The full measure of my joy. Not human joy, not earthly joy, not personal joy, but Christ's joy within them. John 15, verse 11, Jesus says, I told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. You see, the key is this, that Jesus Christ would be the source of our joy, not earthly experiences, not job, not status, not education, not anything, not relationships. Those are all great things, but the, full, the source of our joy would be the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only way that we can have that is if we're in close connection with Him. Amen? So protection, unity, sanctification, joy. And then there's another amazing thing that Jesus prays for us. Look at verse 24. This just blows me away. He says this, Father, I want those. I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am, and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Isn't that wild? That Jesus wants his people. Father, I want them. Why would Jesus want me? I want them to be with me in glory forever. Why would Jesus want you? He does. Isn't that an amazing thing? A few years ago, I guess it's, this summer will be coming up to three, three years. Um, Deb and I were launched into a new stage of life, and that is being grandparents. Now, a bunch of you 
had told uh, Debbie and I that how amazing it is to be a grandparent. How many grandparents do we have? Shout out for grandparents. Woo! And a, a number of you said, said, Steve, it's, you know, having kids is amazing, but being a grandparent is just awesome. It's fantastic. And Deb and I experienced that. The problem is, if you don't know our family, Deb and I have three kids, two girls, they're both married, and, uh, and a son who's still with us. And our oldest, when she got married, her and her husband, he's a teacher, they, they moved way up north. So today they live in Kenora, and that's almost as far as you can drive in Ontario. It's farther to drive there than to drive to Florida. We did it last summer. And it's just, it's just this side of the Manitoba border. So they're not close to us. And yes, FaceTime is amazing. Yes, it's great to send texts and videos back and forth, and we keep in contact with them, and it's great. But there's nothing like, there's nothing like having them in close contact. Deb looks pretty happy, eh? <laughs> there's nothing like it. Yes, yes, it's great to have communication, but Jesus is saying, he's giving us his example. I want them to be with me. That's the kind of relationship that Jesus has called us to and wants to have with us for all of eternity, to experience the glory that God the Father has given to them. Isn't that amazing that He wants us? So those are five things that Jesus prays for in this prayer. Just blows me away for protection, for, un for unity, for sanctification, for joy, and for this eternal relationship of communion, close connection. But in addition to those five things, there are three major themes that well up, that they're, they're interwoven through all of these verses. And I want to end with this, for us to really think about this. Jesus is all about God's supreme glory. It's woven through here. It starts off in verse 1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. Verse 4. I've brought you glory on the earth by finishing the work you gave me to do, verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me with the, in your presence with the glory that I had before you. Verse 10, all I have is yours and, and all you have is mine and glory has come to me through them. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory that you have given to me. Jesus was all about the glory of God the Father. And he, he's been praying this prayer in a way that he wants everything to go to God be the glory. Why should Jesus pray this? Why should Jesus pray for glorification? Well, it's because of who he is and what he has done. Look at verse 2. Jesus was granted authority by God the Father. Verse 3, he was sent by the Father. Philippians 2, verses 9 to 11 says, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. We were singing about this. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? To the glory of God the Father. Because of who he is, Jesus says, Father, would you glorify yourself through me? But he goes on to say, also for the work that I have finished, for the work that I have done. And what's the work? Look at verse 2. He's given eternal life to all those that have been given to him. Verse 4, I've brought you glory, Jesus says, by finishing the work that you gave me to do. What an amazing thing. You see, the entire life of Jesus Christ revealed the glory of God. 
And he gave us that model and calls us as his disciples, as his followers, to both imitate and reflect the glory of God. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, as a fragrant offering of Christ, a sacrifice to God. We are called to reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ for the glory of God the Father. So that's the first theme that, that just wells up here. The second thing is God's perfect love. Look at verse two, uh, 22, the end of that verse. God calls us in unity to be one, that they may be as one, I and them, you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. We talked about that, but then look at this. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you love me. I've made it known to them and will continue to make you known in order. Why? That, that the love you have for them may be in them. The love that you have for me, sorry, may be in them. You see, modeled to us was this perfect love between God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Extended to us from God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. But then we are called as His disciples to put that love on display. How do we do that? By being obedient disciples, right? Jesus says, if you love me, in John 14, you'll keep my commands. How should, how should we love Jesus? We keep his commands. He goes on to say in John 14, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Whoever does not love me does not keep my word. So God's perfect love modeled in the Trinity is extended to us to be displayed in our unity. The same kind of unity that is there between God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We, as, as Christ's body, He's the head of the church, and we're members of His body. We are called to that kind of love. But the third theme that wells up in this, in relationship to God's supreme glory, and His perfect love displayed in us, is a mission that He puts us on. Look at verses 21 to 24. What's this all about? So that the world may believe that you have sent me so that the world will believe that you have sent me. Down in verse 23, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. You see, the Lord uses us to be the means by which the world might know His love and believe in His Son for His glory. Verse 21, that they would know that Jesus Christ was sent by God the Father, that they would know that you have sent me. Verse 23, that they would also know that the Father loved them even as you loved me. The kind of love that God the Father has displayed to Christ was displayed to us. What great manner of love God the Father has shown to us. And the, th the third thing we've talked about is that His followers would be with Him forever. So God puts us on that kind of mission for His glory, His love, perfect love on display, moving to mission that the world would know you come here this morning, I hope that as you leave, you, these things that Jesus has prayed for, protection, unity, sanctification, joy, eternal connection, eternal relationship, close communion, and the themes of His glory and His perfect love and being on mission, that this would give us great hope, that you would walk out of here and wherever you go tonight and tomorrow and next week as the Lord wills, that you would know that Jesus Christ is interceding for you even today. Hebrews 4, it reminds us 
that we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. And because of that, we can firmly hold to the faith that we possess. In Hebrews 7.25, Pastor Rick, a number of months ago, encouraged us to memorize these words. Hebrews 7.25, Therefore, Jesus is able to completely save those who come to God through Him, because He always lives. To what? To intercede for them. Jesus is able to completely save those who come to Him because He always lives to intercede. Jesus Christ is interceding for the believer, for you today. Great hope. Second thing I would like, we sang about it this morning, we celebrated it, is that the victorious life that's available to us through the Lord Jesus Christ, sin and death are conquered. Amen? Sin and death are conquered. In John 10, 10, Jesus says, The thief comes to steal, and to kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life. And what kind of love? Life? To have it to the full. John 16, 33, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to be people of great hope because Jesus Christ is interceding for us. And we ought to fully claim everything that's available to us through the Lord Jesus Christ to live a victorious life because sin and death are conquered. And then finally, as you leave here, may God put you and put me on a mission of intentional purpose, that His love would be on display in us, in us, for His glory. In John, 1 John 4, verse 9, it says, This is how God showed His love amongst us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that He might live through them. It goes on to say, This is not love that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives on us, lives in us, and has made His love complete in us. Jesus was asked the question, what's the most important commandment? Give me the Coles notes, Lord, of what I should do. And Jesus responds with this answer in Mark 12. The most important one answers Jesus is this. The Lord our God, He is one. Love Him. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart your soul, your mind, and your strength. And then he goes on to say, and the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. God puts us on purpose with great hope, experiencing victory that occurs because of the work that he has done. Praise God. I want you to stand for a minute as the team comes. And I want you to do something that I don't normally ask you to do. Everybody, if you're able, uh, everybody stand. And uh, I want you to just raise your hands, and I want you to say glory. glory. Supreme, glory. Supreme glory. Perfect love. Perfect love. Perfect love. On mission. Okay, let's do it again. Supreme glory. Perfect love. On mission. That's the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ in this prayer for us. That you, that I, that we would live for His supreme glory. Amen? Amen? Displayed in perfect love. 
a love that's found through Christ and Christ alone to one another on mission. Team is going to lead us in a song that reminds us about God's glory. Forever he is glorified. May the God be honored as we continue to worship together. And we do sing, and we need to sing, hallelujah, praise God. The Lamb has overcome. God has called us to something amazing as his disciples. For his glory that we would have on display his perfect love in us for a lost world. That's our call. Worship. Connect. Reach. Do you see it? Do you feel the heartbeat of Christ in this prayer? As he prays for protection, as he prays for unity, as he prays for his people to become more holy, as he prays for the full measure of joy, declaring that he wants us to be with him forever to experience his glory, but putting us on mission while we are here, but not leaving us alone. He left us his Holy Spirit for power, he left us his word for truth, life-changing truth. Are you the kind of disciple that Jesus is referring to here? On display for God's glory, displaying perfect love on mission. If you're not, if you're not that kind of disciple, maybe you're here today because you're listening to God's word and say, you know what, I'm not even a follower of a Christ. How could I be that kind of disciple? God's word reminds us that now is the time. Now, today is the day for God's salvation. If you don't yet know the Lord, there's nothing better that we would want to do than to introduce you to the Lord Jesus Christ, our personal Savior, our personal Lord. Some of our pastoral team will be here at the front. Others will be in the connections room to the right as you go. We would just love to talk to you about the Lord Jesus Christ. For those of you who declare Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, there's only one kind of disciple. This kind. This certain kind. Now is the time to be Christ's witness. But you say, Pastor Steve, wait a second. That's too hard. It's too difficult. Life's too tough. Jesus said to his disciples, you're going to be scattered. It's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. But I have overcome and praise be to God that he gives us the strength, his strength, the strength of his spirit and the power of his word to overcome. I want to encourage you as you leave with the benediction that's written in the book of Jude that reminds us of who does the work in and through us. Now to him, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's able to keep you, to able to keep me from falling, and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. That's the work that Christ does. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in God's blessing.